Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. Today, we have on John Barnack, who's a real estate agent of approximately nine years, has done over 75 flips, has team members in four different states, and is amazing at crafting a vision for his life and for others that leads him into a life of purpose and freedom. And he loves golf. So added bonus. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to hopefully unpack his stories that are going to leave you inspired and maybe help you relate to some of the difficult and challenging things that we face in the real estate business. So that being said, John, we'll get right into it. Would you mind starting by sharing one of the craziest transactions and or real estate processes you've experienced since you've been in the business? Man, so starting with the tough ones, aren't we? <laughs> totally. Diving right in. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And you know, I, I love that you shared the golf golf bit there. I've actually got a tea time right after this. So <laughs> I bumped up the time a little bit on you guys and thank you for being flexible, but you know, gotta kind of make the tea time today. The sun finally started shining here in Chicago. So I, I don't know where you're at, Matt, but it's been 40 degrees, cloudy and raining almost every other day here uh, up until about a week ago. And now the sun is finally out. So people are sprinting to get outside and enjoy the weather while we got it. Beautiful. Yeah. All right. We'll get right to the we nuggets our, so we can get you that tea time. Cool. We so got our one week of spring, right? We got our one week of 60 degrees and then it bumped right up to 85. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We we're lucky if we get any spring here, but yeah. So craziest, you know, on the investing side, I would say probably the craziest deal that we ever did, I guess from a, if we go from like a, didn't go the way we planned it <laughs> the type of way. Right? Cause I mean, there, there's crazy deals that are like, they snowball and like it, it starts as something and it turns into something that's huge. Right. And it gets crazy good. Uh, but like I said, right before we started the recording, man, I want to share some of the some of the dirty stuff right some of the things that people don't always like to to look at and talk about because i think that will give people a better perspective right uh and especially i love what you said helping people that might be going through the same thing uh knowing that there's other people out there that have gone through it already and overcame it you know that, that those are the people i'm really looking to help and empower so uh the craziest deal that we have is actually one we just completed last year it was a two flat in Chicago. Uh, we picked it up. It was a referral. If you guys, I mean, referral is one of the best ways to go about getting business. I'm sure you know. Uh, and someone came to us and said, hey, I know you guys are doing fix and flips. I got an off-market two flat. Can you guys take a look at this? You know, see if the numbers work. Uh, we went back and forth. And, and this deal was kind of crazy from the beginning because we had a seller who hired an attorney from North Carolina to represent uh -huh. Right, out-of-state attorney. That's, that's, that's a that's a good way to mess well, up things in Illinois. <laughs> so it, it was well, and, and it was like one of his old friends he went to high school with, and he trusted him. He's like, you know, it's like I, I got this guy's going to represent. So I'm I'm talking to the seller, and you know, everything sounds good, and then all of a sudden I get on with his attorney, and right from the beginning I knew that this transaction was going to be interesting because of the way that this attorney operated, right? And he was like. So tell, take me into that a little bit more. So was it the attorney's voice? Was it his presence? Like what tipped you off? So it was his demeanor. 
and the way that he like presented himself. And so let me, I, I get, so he started off by telling me all the things that he's accomplished in his career. He was a corporate attorney for McDonald's back in the day. Right. So he has never done real estate in his career <laughs> has never represented real estate. He, he literally sat in a boardroom and like, you know, listened to all the like board members talk. And then he was like the legal person, right. To make sure that they stayed compliant and didn't step on anybody's toes. So like, he's talking about all these degrees that he has. He's talking about like, you know, I was a, a million dollar attorney with McDonald's corporate and I was at their head office and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, great. How many real estate transactions have you facilitated? Let's bring you back down to earth, bro. Right. Right. So that's the first question I always ask when I have a seller that wants an attorney, like, is your an attorney, a real estate attorney? attorney. Um, Because people, yeah, like, oh yeah, he was a DA. And it's like, that's not going to do you any good, bro. Um, We ain't selling hamburgers here. Yeah. (laughs) Not at all. Right. So like, this guy was, you know, and he, he had experience, right? So I'm not going to knock him on what he does and what he accomplished. You know, I, I never throw dirt. You throw dirt, you lose ground. So I, you know, I appreciate what he done. I respect his business. I respect his career. Just a little bit different, right? Yeah. So right from the beginning, and this dude is challenging me on everything, right? The way that we wrote our mm-hmm. contract, our inspection period, the earnest money. I mean, I went back and forth with this dude on earnest money several times, uh, even had to bring in our attorney. We use Gary Davidson out here, out of Chicago. I'm sure, right, Tim, you know him. So, I mean, it got to the point where, like, I had to bring in Gary Davidson. I don't like wasting people's time. It's like, dude, it's like, I shouldn't have to bring Gary in to help, you know, articulate a contract to an attorney who's, who is that prestigious, right? At least in his perspective, right, in his mind. So I'm trying to explain to him how we do things and why we do them. He's not getting it. So me and him go back and forth and we're button heads, you know, right from the start. Cause he's just, he's got that tone, right. Where he knows better or he's, you know, got that. He's kind of like a level above us. So I'm kind of taking my jabs when I can, cause that's my personality and he's not <laughs> liking it as much. Right. So me and him butt heads right from the beginning. And finally I like, so I had to get, uh, our fund manager, we've got a private fund that we use. Uh, so we're liquid, we're cool. So I brought, I had to bring my fund manager to a call and then also our attorney, Gary Davidson, to a call with this guy to explain to him our process, why we write the contract the way we did, why we do the earnest money the way we do, that we had the funds liquid. Uh, and Gary, dude, I love Gary so much. Dude, if, you, if you've worked with Gary before and if you've ever gotten him I don't want to say riled up, but if you if you push a button, <laughs> Gary will step on it, right? Really, pit, really. Pitbull turns on. Oh yeah, so he got aggressive with this dude and put this guy in his place really quick. So that was fun, right? That was fun, right from the beginning. Going back and forth, with this dude. Finally, we get this guy to accept it. Um, you know, he he understands it, and it's like you go through and we go to closing, uh, and I find out that like he, you know, he had this big, like, you know, this big persona and like all this pride and, you know, he's trying to bring all this knowledge from a different uh, aspect of the industry and trying to, you know, help us and get through and come to find out that like, he was really just like scared because he didn't know really uh-huh. what the hell he was doing. Yeah. Right. And he admitted this to like our attorney, uh, not Gary, but one of his, um, one of his assistants, I think uh, Lisa, he admitted this to Lisa when we were getting ready to close. He's like, 
you know, he's like, thank you guys for being patient with me. And like, I really didn't know what I was doing. I'm just trying to help out my friend, like almost in like tears. Cause like, he was so <laughs> like, he was so, um, you know, ashamed that he didn't know what he was doing. He didn't want to admit it. So that it was, right from the beginning, I knew it was going to be interesting. And we get into the rehab, we're doing it, you know, that moved along pretty well. Right. And I think, I, I think you've seen the property, Tim, or you might've seen it somewhere. Um, but we got that done. We got it knocked out, got up on the market and, you know, we get under contract and then this is where things like kind of turn a little bit. So we get a call and this, this buyer and this buyer attorney were like, excuse me, uh, we're honest, like every single day uh, about this property. They wanted it. Hey, we're doing our inspection. Hey, is anything changed? Right. So they're honest every single day. And we're about a week and a half out from closing. The buyer's agent calls me, says, Hey, there's a moving truck uh, out in front of this property, like the property we're about to buy. It's like, should we know something? I'm like, um, well, thank you for telling me. I was like, there's sounds like something we should know, right? That's going on with this <laughs> property. So we, you know, we call the police and they go there. And these people broke into our house. And when the cops got there, uh, they had a fake lease. And okay. in Chicago, yeah. And, and I guess there's like, there's this entire business model. Like people actually built a business model around breaking in the houses for sale with a fake lease. And then they basically just hold the property hostage for a fee. So these people broke in, the cops are at the place. They've got a fake lease. Uh, it's got our name on it. They probably just found, right. They found who owned the property through public records. It's got a fake signature on it. The locks to the doors are sitting on the ground. Literally they mm -hmm. were able to get enough furniture in. So it looked like they got like a couch, like a couple tables, they got enough furniture in, so it looked like they were like moving in and had been there for a little bit, but all the appliances were gone. Right? They stole all the appliances, and so this is the this is the scam, right? That's going on in Jeez. Chicago right now. I guess it's huge. So we start freaking out because we're like, you know, we're supposed to close in next week, right? And we're supposed to close next week. The buyer's freaking out. We're freaking out, and you know, we found. I honestly don't even know how much this I'm supposed to share, but like I said, I'm an open book, bro. So we found what we like to call, and we've got these guys on deck. So if someone's listening to this and you've, you're having this happen to you right now, like we've actually, we, what we did was we found what we call our goon squad. And <laughs> people, right, these people showed up at the house, went in, started taking pictures of all the dudes, uh, taking their IDs, right? So we knew exactly who all these people were. And within... 48 hours, we had them moving all of their shit out of our house. Whoa. Nice. Whoa. That's incredible. So you, yeah, What I'm curious to know more. And obviously, feel free to share what you feel like is appropriate. Yeah. But that's great, man. So you, you were able to kind of outsmart the, uh, the criminals there. Outsmart the criminals. And, you know, it cost us a little bit. Yeah. But it, nearly, it, it did not cost us nearly what it could have. Yeah. Um, you know, we had to pay those dudes to do their job. Uh, we did end up paying them like a small fee to get out of there. Uh, but, you know, we could have, and, and you guys know how uh, eviction laws are in Chicago. They could have lived there for 12 or 18 months, right, for yeah, free. Totally. But so we, you know, we got them out in just a couple of days, cost us a little bit of change, um, but way, you know, way better than what it could have been. We got the appliances in. Uh, within five days, so we got all new appliances back in within five days. 
they had uh, scratched up some floors because they didn't pick up the appliances when they took them out. They just dragged them out. So we had to right fix up some of the hardwood floors. It dinged up some of the walls. So we got these people out within 48 hours. Uh, we got all new appliances in. We got all right back to the way it was before they got in there. All new locks, brand new security system, all this done in like less than a week. And then we still closed on the property. We made about 50 or 60 grand on that one, on that flip. So wow. that's probably from this, from the inception of this deal and talking to, you know, started with this attorney and then, you know, we got through the rehab and honestly the rehab process was pretty smooth. Every once mm-hmm. in a while you get some humps and bumps in there, but that went pretty smooth. Uh, and I, I honestly, I've never in my entire career, I've ever heard of, or even came across that type of, you know, I call it, it's like, they, they call it like a business model, but it's a scam, right? It's just, it's yeah. bullshit. Yeah. Uh, but I've never heard of that before. And we were able just to pull together, get resorted and just get it knocked out, man. That's incredible. Like I, I have heard of somewhat similar scams, but this is a, a, a new level of criminality because not only are they taking access to property they don't own, they're creating fake leases. Yep. And uh, gosh, I mean, like, yeah. Well, here, so there's two things that I've learned that we learned from this, right? Uh, one, the cops will not try it because we were on the phone with the cops. We're like, that's a fake lease. Like, we mm. didn't sign that. But because it's a contract, like, it's not their job to interpret contracts. Right? So they were completely hands off with it. Yeah. So we just were like, it doesn't make any sense to us. Yeah. What we later found out, because one of our partners, his son actually works uh, for the CPD. What mm-hmm. we later found out is if we would have drove down there, as in like prove that we're the owners and then said that this is a bullshit lease, like these people yeah. are trespassing, they would have kicked them out there right there on the spot. Yeah. I so two, oh, them, yeah. yeah. So two very important things. If, if anyone hearing this comes across a similar situation, um, one, know that the cops aren't going to, just kick these people out, right? Because they're not going to deal with the actual contract or legalities of that. And if you can get you, if you can get down there and then prove that you're the owner, then you can get those people out right away. There'd be no questions asked. But we we didn't know that. We had no idea what the options were. Uh, and we went the we went the goon squad route. And now we've got but now we've got a goon squad on deck. So if anyone tries to squat in our, you know, squat in our place again, yeah, call these yeah. people up. We already know you know, what they charge, we already know what the process is. They go in and within 48 hours, they get people out. Incredible. So I just want to tap on a couple things here. Yeah. If someone was going to build a goon squad, not asking you how you built yours, but if someone out there wanted to build a goon squad, like what would be some recommendations as to where they might look to find such, such guys or gals? Yeah, good question. So our project manager handled most of it. What I heard from him was there are like private detectives, right? So mm. they're, they're not police, but they're private detectives, like PIs that mm. you can hire. And then they know these types of people and they have mm. these relations. That's basically their job. Is they're like under, like under the radar kind of doing these, these dirty jobs that like regular cops just won't go in or like can't, don't even have the ability to go do. So look for like a PI or like a private detective in the area that you're working and they'll be able to connect you with, with those goons to help get those people out. Are you talking about like those guys uh, on Facebook? I see this guy, I think his name's like uh, Patty Mayo or whatever. Have you seen any of his videos where like he goes, he's like a bonds guy. He goes in with his bulletproof vest and taser gun and all that kind of stuff. 
I mean, it could be. So what, from what I understood, like the first person that we had go there was mm-hmm. like some little badass chick that like, <laughs> yeah. you, you, don't, you don't want to mess like that. That was yeah. the first person we had to go knock on their door for us. Yeah. Yeah. With some chick and she just went in there. She started snapping photos of everyone. She's like, started taking people's IDs and yeah. she's like, all right, cool. We know who all of you are. And then she just walked out. <laughs> <laughs> See ya. Yeah. You'll hear Love. from us soon. Yeah. 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 <laughs> How cool, man. And it's kind of like that mysterious, like what's going to happen to us. And that is so cool. You mentioned private fund. Um, so I want to tap on that, but not yet. So we'll come back to that a little bit later. I want to kind of get into the flow. Um, so thank you for giving us such a great story. I think not only is that a great story for people to realize some of the crazy stuff we deal with, but like just what a great example of problem solving that you guys did in getting through the first part of the escrow and then dealing with those crazy guys. So so kudos on that. Let's Let's dive into expectations. So what expectations did you have of what real estate would be like before you got in? And what was it actually like when you got in, especially your transition to investing? All right. So I've got the perfect story for this. Uh, I'm glad you asked that question. So I got, so I got into real estate when I was 23. I was actually in, I was a factory worker. I was in college at the time. Right. And that was what we were taught, right? You go to, I wanted a better job. So go to school, you get a degree. And then that's how I was going to move up in the world. And I was like literally one semester away from getting my associate's degree and then going into the field that I wanted to go into. Mm -hmm. And my best friend's mom just approached me one day. She heard me complain about my job or, you know, my friend told her, she's like, have you ever thought about going into real estate? I was like, "Mm, not really. Right. So I was a factory worker, W2 mindset. Like I need a paycheck every two weeks. I was like, how does commission work? Like, you know, what if I don't sell a house for two months? Like, how, how, where do you find your clients? Like, I, all these like questions people have when they first start. And she was like, well, I think you'd be good at it, right? She said, you got good people skills, like you, you work hard. Um, and she's like, I'd be happy to take you under my wing um, and, and kind of show you the ropes. And I was like, I don't know. I'm almost done with college. She's like, okay. She's like, last year was an okay year for me. She's like, I made like 300 grand. <laughs> And I quit. I quit. <laughs> I dropped out. You just float that out there. You just floated yeah. it. But yeah. so I, I stopped going to classes. I was literally one semester away. I quit college. I went and got my real estate license. I got into the business. Uh, I'd started part-time, but about after three months, I quit my full-time factory job. Everyone thought I was stupid for doing that. So whatever. Sometimes when people say you're stupid, it means you're probably really on to something, right? You need mm-hmm. to keep running in that direction. Uh, but <laughs> awesome. I quit, yeah. Oftentimes, right? So I quit my factory job, went full-time with her, and then I've just been full-time ever since. Uh, but the, so my expectation was 300 grand a year. And then when I first started, because uh, I was, you know, I was 23 at the time. So it's like, my friends aren't buying houses yet, right? I already had a house, but I had a really good job. So like I had a house, I had a car and all that stuff. Uh, but most of my friends weren't there yet, right? They're just either finishing up college or, you know, just kind of trying, trying to figure out what they want to do with their life. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really, ha- I couldn't like just go to my warm market right away. So I was like, how do I get business, right? First was floor time, such a joke. But then she was like, uh, just, she's like, buy some Zillow uh, ads, right? Or, or get into Zillow, like they'll send you some people you could cut your teeth on. Uh, she was sending me some people too, you know, buyers she didn't want to work with. But I, I got into Zillow. And I, I, I shit you not, dude. The first person that reached out to me on Zillow said, hey, 
I want to go see this house. I like it. You know, I'm willing to make an offer on it. I'm like, all right, cool. Let's go check it out. And I, I still had not filled out a contract yet. So I, I had no <laughs> idea really what I was doing. I barely knew how to schedule a showing, but I show up to this property. I had my one day code, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to open a lot century lockbox. And I get in there and I'm walking around. It's like, it's a house on the East side of Aurora and it's, it needs a ton of work. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, dude, this is a piece of shit. Like mm-hmm. nobody wants a house like this. And he's walking out, he's looking under the sink and, you know, he's looking at the electrical box. And I remember he went downstairs and I stayed on the first floor and, you know, I'm on my phone just thinking, you know, just time to get out, you know, when can we get out of here on to the next thing? He comes upstairs. He's like, I like it. He's like, you think if we make a full price offer, they'll take it. I was like, probably, you know, I don't know. Let's, you know, let's figure it out. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> sure. Right. Yeah. That sounds great. So we go back to the office and this is, you know, back in the day before Digi signed and, you know, Docky signed and all that crap. So I'm at the office and I'm filling out my first contract with no training or nothing. Right. I just, I printed out, I had it right in front of me. And in my head, I was like, I was like explaining it to him, like to try and like, Learn it as you go. Yeah, so like I'm, I'm talking out loud, like, yeah, this yeah. section says this and this is what it's about. And really, I was just figuring it out. Right. Mm-hmm. If he knew that, yeah. I, you know, <laughs> you yeah. I've totally, totally been there. I, I, I could feel what you're saying. Yeah. So like I'm I'm explaining it to him, but also explaining it to myself, like going through this 13 page contract, trying to figure out what blanks, you know, how to fill out. Uh, we submit it. They accept it. And they close in like 30 days. Wow. So. I got in real estate. A nice check 30 days after one showing. Yeah. So again, real estate, you know, 300 grand is the mark, right? That's the benchmark and what I'm going to do. And then the first lead I get, the first house I show in the first contract I wrote, closed and I got a paycheck. (laughs) Completely ruined my expectations. 100%. You start walking around with I'm a closer t shirt. Yeah. I was like, I was like, right. I was like, this is easy. No wonder she makes 300 grand, right? I can do this every day, right? (laughs) That's right. So, that was my first experience and the first deal I ever did in real estate. And like I said, it just really, it, it put me in like a, holy crap, this is easy. And I could just go out and crush this thing. And then I figured out that there's a lot I didn't know. Right. Wow. And then there's a lot of work that had to get done um, to make things like, like that happen. You know, for example, the Zillow, um, that was the only lead I closed from Zillow. Uh, after that, right? I got a bunch of leads. There were a bunch of crap, you know, people I went out to houses to you or, you know, hey, let's go see this house. And then they wouldn't show up. And then, you know, the, then Zillow next month is like, not getting the results you want, buy another zip code, right? So they're mm-hmm. trying to upsell me and give me more things. So back then the zip code was like a hundred bucks. So, you know, I ended up with like three or four of them before I was like, yeah, I don't think I'm just going to keep giving Zillow money, right? It's not panning out for me. So pulled off of that, and, you know, honestly, I spent probably like the first two or three years of my career just kind of floating around, mm-hmm. like not really, I didn't, you know, I wasn't big on time blocking. I didn't have any real goals. I didn't do any planning. I, you know, I would kind of show up to the office when I wanted to, and I would sit there, you know, hoping the phone would ring or uh, hoping a client would walk in that I could get something or waiting for, you know, Martha to give me something to do. And I just, mm-hmm. I didn't know what to do right in the mm-hmm. beginning and it took me like i said it took me two or three years to really figure out that okay i've got to get some structure around this i've got to set some targets up back into them and break them down to like daily activities and create the habits 
um, you know, of taking the actions that are going to produce income for me, right. And create results. So, you know, the, the first couple of years, I was kind of like floating around, dude, just whatever would come to me. And I, I would remember like a friend would call me and like, Hey, I'm looking to buy my first house. And I'd be like, Oh, uh, let's go. Right. And it's like, cool. It's like, I got something to do now. Right. So it felt like a puppy with the bone. Like, let's go. Like, yeah, there you go. Action. Right. And then the phone wouldn't ring for like two months, you know, and yeah. I just didn't, I didn't know what to do. So uh, there was in the beginning and I had a great role model and I don't want to, I'm forever grateful. And mm-hmm. I don't even know if I could even show enough gratitude or for, yeah. for Martha and what she did to, put me on this path, right? Because mm-hmm. everything that has come was from her just asking me that one question. Yeah. And she was, she's an A type, probably a double A type <laughs> doing five things at once. Triple I mean, A battery. <laughs> dude, she does. So she, she was, she does, she was doing when I was to work with her and she's patting, you know, slowed down. She's also an investor too. She's got like 30 paid off rentals. So she's been working her way down over the last few years. Yeah, but when yeah. I first started, she was doing 110 to 120 transactions by herself. She didn't have an assistant. Oh, that is she didn't nuts. have any people on her team. She didn't have no buyer's agents, no listing agents. It was her. I've wow. never seen a person. She, she'd literally be on the phone typing, like responding to an email uh, while there's like someone sitting in her office. Like I, I've <laughs> never seen anybody work as hard in my life. But she, you know, she just literally didn't have time for anything else but her business. For sure. And that experience is what ultimately led me to, all right, real estate's an awesome vehicle. And I can do Mm -hmm. a lot of amazing things here. I can help a lot of people. I can make a lot of money along the way. But I don't ever want to be that. I don't ever want to be a producer, right? I don't ever want to sacrifice my life for business or for money. So that's what kind of sent me down this other path of, learning how to get into real estate investing, become a business owner, you know, build something that's scalable, saleable, invest in assets. That that's what really turned me away from that traditional, you know, work yourself to death. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Right. I wanted to work smarter, not harder. Yeah. So many ways we could take this. And so it, it appears that like, basically she modeled for you what one is possible from an income perspective, unlike very many ever could. And yet at the same point modeled for you, this is not what I want my life and purpose to look like. So what I want to start with is let's start with the couple years where you're feeling like you're floundering. I'm guessing this is at probably the same time that you're under her, right? So is it this disparity where you're, you're around this wealth generating machine and you're kind of just floating? Can you kind of describe maybe the thoughts that were going through your head, the emotions, the mindset, like maybe some of the dark points that kind of came with that and just give the audience like a sense of like, what was that like in those two years? Yeah. Um, yeah, man. Um, it's, it, it, it was tough. I mean, there were, and so I'll, I'll preface what I'm about to say with some of like my, my lowest points. Yeah. Um, there was a while where I lived on credit and at my worst time, I was $55,000 in credit card debt. Uh, there was Damn. to the point where it was like, you know, I would get a commission check and all of it was gone to credit card payments and interest and penalties. Like I, I'd get money and I'd like, I wouldn't even be able to stay in my bank account for a day. Like it had to go out just so I didn't get further behind, right? Where I was at. 
um, you know, I was too consistently two or three months behind on my mortgage payment. You know, I ended, I turned my house into a rental property. Thank God it, mm-hmm. you know, cause it, it really actually gave me a lot of freedom and space, right? That it, it was like four cash flow and 400 bucks a month, but there were points in my life where that 400 bucks a month kept me going in business for like another month. Like mm-hmm. that literally paid for gas so I could go show my next house or something like that, you know? So, you know, that was the blessing in disguise. And that turned out to be a fantastic deal. Again, that was another thing that Martha threw at me when I was, because I bought my house from her. She was like, you have to buy this house. It's a great deal. It's like $70,000 foreclosure. It was when the market tanked, right? When I, when I that's a, got into real estate right after the first crash, right? Perfect timing. But I also <laughs> bought my first house in that time. So, mm-hmm. you know, I got it for like 70 grand and then, you know, I cash flowed it for seven years. You know, I collected over a hundred thousand in gross rents. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I ended up selling it for uh, 145, wow. uh, seven years later. So, I mean, that, that was a fantastic deal. And that thing uh, literally kind of kept me alive right through wow. my career. So, you know, two or three months consistently behind on my mortgage payment, you know, 400, sometimes living on $400 a month, right. Just to keep going for like another day, another week, just, you know, just need the next deal to come in. Um, you know, I had this mentality that if I, cause when I first got into it, it was about like selling a dream or selling a lifestyle. And like, I had this idea that, uh, you know, I'm in real estate. I could create my own schedule. I can make any money that I want. Uh, and I was like, you know what, if I can just like show off, right. The lifestyle that I really want, uh, kind of like, I, I literally took fake it to make it to a, a ridiculous, stupid level, right. Mm-hmm. That I probably shouldn't have, but yeah. I was in my mid twenties, you know, I didn't really know any better. Um, and I, I had this idea that if I, if I showed this type of lifestyle, like people would just be attracted to me. Yeah. And so, so let's dive into that. Yeah. So, so you are sold this dream by this gal. She's making 300 K in a bad year. You come in, you're all hype because you closed your first deal. Now you're living paycheck to paycheck month after month. Yep. What, what exactly, like, I'm sure you had thoughts of quitting, right? What, what thoughts kept you in the game? what do you think was it like the image of I'm, I'm putting an image of success. So I have to manifest into that or what, what, what were the triggers that kept you going month after month? Yeah, that's, that's a really great question. And you know, there was times where I worked too, and you know, I would work real estate all day. And then there was a period of time where I had a night job. Mm-hmm. Like I, you know, work from, you know, 10 to 6am and then I would take a nap for an hour or two and then get up and go to the office and try to do real estate. I, that's, I had to do some of that stuff just to survive. Um, you know, that's a really good question. I'm not a quitter, bro. Like I just, <laughs> I, I can't quit. If I, if I give my, like, this is, so there's two things that I was raised on. You don't lie and you do what you say you're going to do. Mm, those, oh, are yeah. two, those are the only two. No, no, dude. If I got caught lying or if I said something and I didn't do it, uh, belt. Right. I don't know if you guys know about the bell, right? So it was, oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. It was fake it's, bad, it's a bad word in today's society, but it, uh, Dude, that's, it that's how it was. You, yep. Mm-hmm. That was, right. And that's kind of what yep. shaped me today. So I'm grateful. Exactly. For it. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I, in my mind, it was like, 
I, this is what I was going to do. And I was going to do, I think so Will, so Will Smith has an excellent quote about this and he, you know, he's getting interviewed and they said, um, you know, what's the difference between you and like an average person? Like, why are you here? And why is everyone else like down here? And he said, he thought about it. He's like, he's like, you know, the difference is me. He's like, if me and you get on a treadmill and we're running side by side, he's like, I will die before I get off that treadmill. <laughs> that most well, I can certainly relate to that. Hard, I can right? relate but, to that. Yeah. Like, but I, he's like, I will die on that treadmill before I let someone else beat me. Yeah. And right. Wow. That competitive nature, that commitment. It's like, I, I, I was like, in my mind, it was like, I burned every, I quit my factory job. I do it. I burned everything. I tried to go back and work a couple jobs. I was psychologically unemployable. Right. I, I remember walking out of, um, I got a job working at a restaurant in a, in a, in a, in a, uh, in a kitchen. I, don't know why. I was thinking cook for some reason, uh, in a kitchen. And, you know, I, I worked once and it was kind of more training. It was slow. And then they brought me back, um, actually called me uh, on a Friday, said, Hey, I know it's your weekend off, but, um, you know, we got a fight tomorrow. I was like, I don't know if you know. I was like, yeah, I was going to watch with my friends. Uh, we need you to come in because it's going to be busy. I pull up to this place and I'm like getting ready to walk in and the parking lot's full. And then there's like a line out the door, you know, and I'm, I'm walking past all these people, you know, my head's down and make sure like, so like, I'm going to work, right. These people are going here to have a good time. I'm going to work and I'm walking past all these people. And I remember walking around the corner, going to the back and, you know, my boss was in the kitchen work. That's how busy it was. Like my boss was in the kitchen working and it just looked so hectic and crazy. And yeah, I, I feel kind of bad about it looking back at it now, but I, I literally just turned around and walked out. Like I, mm. I was like, I cannot, I can't do this, dude. Like I, I just can't be an employee anymore. So like I burned every bridge in my mind and it was like, I'm going to do this or I'm, and, and I literally, you know, cause me and my dad would butt heads on this, right. Mm. When I rented out my house, I moved back with my dad mm. so I could get back on my feet, right. Forever grateful for my parents, man. They, helped me so much uh, throughout my life and helped me get to where I'm at. But um, I was living with him and he almost every single day, when are you going to get a job? When are you going to get a job? When are you going to get a job? And it was like one day I just snapped and I literally, I looked my dad right in the eyes and like, I don't, I don't know. My dad is bigger than me and he's scary, but I looked right in the eyes. <laughs> And I said, I said, dad, I was like, I will go homeless before I go get another job. Ooh, dang. I, I will lose everything, right? I will, mm. it's like, I will lose my house. I'll lose my car. It's like, I would rather live on the street doing what I want to do, build, build what I want to build mm. than go work under someone else ever again. Ooh. That's it, man. Go all in. It's so cool to see. You're such a great storyteller as far as your story and it's just so cool to see how these principles like you have this identity that you formed that you carried over from childhood where essentially it's like hey i have this identity that i do what i say and then you linked real estate success to that identity like that's powerful that's really really cool so let's let's give the audience now the turning point so i i think they've got a pretty clear picture of how hard this thing was what turned this thing around and, and changed the trajectory so it's it was two things really uh one i realized that 
um, I was the asshole. Mm. Right. Um, I was a, it's everyone else's fault type of person. And, you know, uh, right, my it's my client's fault that they don't buy this house. It's, you know, uh, my friend's fault because he didn't call me when he bought a house and bought it with someone else. It's uh, the credit card company's fault because they've got a whole, you know, scheme behind getting people in debt and keeping them in debt. So it was everyone else's fault. And what I learned, I did, dude, I've done hundreds and hundreds of hours of personal development and training that that's what turned turned it for me was when I stopped looking out here and I started looking in here mm. at, okay. And really considering that I'm responsible for everything, the good, wow. the bad, the ugly, the credit card debt, the lack of clients, the lack of money. Um, you know, the foreclosure notices at one point I actually, I, dude, I sold my car to get a huh. cheaper car so that I could stay in real estate for like another three or four months, dude. So like, that's how committed I was to this thing, man. Like it, it, there was no going back like in my mind. Um, but it was like, when I, when I turned it around and I said, okay, I got myself here. Mm. I was the one who put all this shit on my cards, knowing that I didn't have the money to pay for it. I was the one who, you know, I'm the one that's not reaching out to people and telling them I'm in real estate. I'm the one that's not doing the work. And what I found it was, it was like the craziest epiphany ever, dude. It's like when you, when you shift the focus from, you know, there's a problem out here. to there's a problem in here. Mm. I can change what's in here. Wow. Right. I can, I can start taking different actions. I can start thinking differently. I can start shifting my perspective on the circumstances around me. And when it's, when I'm responsible for it and when I can change it, that's when I can start changing shit out here, wow. right? When it's everyone else's fault and it's just circumstances or situations, you're going to be stuck forever. Incredible. There's no way to get around that. Jim, there's a, there's a badass quote. I'm going to drop this in here and then I'll let you, I know you're itching to ask the next question. Uh, Jim Rome says, and, and I love Jim Rome. I love Eric Thomas. I love Gary Vee, you know, Grant Cardone is cool. So like all these motivational people, I got into a lot of Eric Thomas too. He's fantastic. But Jim Rohn says, if you will change, everything will change for you. Wow. Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, we could sit here and do a three hour episode <laughs> just on this topic. Yeah. Like, oh, dude, like, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's what turned your life around. Like it, it's what took you from struggling in debt. You know, the only thing that you had was your commitment to success, you know, like, um, I'm going to mess up the author's name. There's a book called As a Man Thinketh, uh, which is a phenomenal read, which kind of illustrates what you're talking about. Essentially, everything that we do is a result in our, our basically our results are a result of our thought processes, our, our accountability, responsibility. So incredible. Um, so what, if you can articulate, and this might be, I guess, challenging to answer, but if you can articulate what was the process like to even first recognize maybe that you weren't a victim mindset versus a, a responsible mindset? And then how do you overcome that gap, right? Because we it sounds like you're going like, like I did and like most of us do at the beginning, like it's, it's the world's fault, it's the external consequences, it's all these other reasons why I'm not successful. How, how did you go through that mental journey to, to basically come to that realization that it's, it's me? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And excuse me, um, a lot of reading, 
so I started picking up books. One of my, you know, one of my mentors told me, basically, who you surround yourself with, right, is important. And you know, if you if you hang around with drug addicts or you know people that are always partying and going to bars or you know if you're hanging around with four broke people, you're going to be the fifth, right? And you know, my excuse, right, is before I really started taking, but my excuse was I don't know enough successful people mm. to stay or successful. The other thing was successful people don't want to hang out with me because I'm not successful. Right. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. And so what my mentor said was, well, he's like, you can read, can't you? Uh-huh. <laughs> he's, like, he's, like, he's like, if you pick up, if you pick up a John C. Maxwell book and read it, it's like you're hanging out with John C. Maxwell. Damn. Yep. Totally. Right. So that's dude, I've read over 120 books now or something like that over the last six or seven years. So I dive into reading, right? I dive into a lot of, I started meditating. Uh, You know, meditating was something that took me from like here when I first started, like, okay, maybe I am responsible. Like going from like here to like here, as far as like a presently being present, like in moments, and then also really being able to filter through my thoughts. Because when you're like sitting in a quiet room, uh, with your eyes shut and you just, you know, you're, you're meditating, right. You're just, mm-hmm. there's really nothing else to do, but kind of just be with yourself. Yeah. Right. And, and listen to things. And one of the best exercise I ever got was, you know, another mentor of mine who's like, listen to the thoughts, acknowledge your thoughts. And then he said, he's like, I always like to say, you know, thank you for sharing and then let them go. <laughs> the ones that don't serve you. Right. Thank you. There's, there's that thing, right. That's always running <laughs> that, in your head. Is- you know, thank you for sharing. And then he's like, just let it go, dude. If it doesn't serve you, just let it go. Incredible. What a great way to deal with. Like, I mean, you deal with this in real life where someone shares an idea for your life. That's completely like out of whack, out of sync. What a, that's a great lesson for that too. Right. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. And then, yeah. Incredible. Yeah. And, like you, and- you really walk the walk. Like you could tell, like, I mean, a lot of people talk a big game about how many books they read, but like, it's just so cool in this interview to see how many just like how real these books are to you, like the the level of quotes that you're bringing. And you could tell you've taken the effort and the time to implement those principles into your life down to your thought level. It's, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. And I re- I remember the moment it's like, like it was yesterday. I remember the moment when it actually occurred. Mm. Um, I took several courses out at landmark and I don't know if you've heard of landmark worldwide. Um, you know, I, I did, I went really deep into that. And I had a friend, you know, I'm so good, dude. I'm just, honestly, before I get down that rabbit hole, I've just, I sometimes just feel like the luckiest person on the world, mm. just because of the people that have come into my life and the people that have been able to guide me and point me in the right direction or give me some feedback on what I'm doing. And I've always been open to the coaching and right open to the feedback. Um, Cause I believe that's how you get better, but it's like, I've just been so phenomenally blessed. I mean, the first person who brought me into real estate, the top producer. And then from there, it was just great person after great person after great person. Now, you know, hanging out with multimillionaires and stuff like that. It's just, it, I've just been extremely blessed too, just to, to be in the right place at the right time and have people around me that, that want to see me succeed, right? Just as bad as I want it. So that's very important. But I was, you know, doing some landmark courses and I remember uh, my coach was talking to me about something, you know, wasn't fully paying attention to him because it mm. hadn't really got it yet. And I, I remember saying I was going to do something. I was like, yeah, I was like, you know, I'll get that done or, you know, I'll go do that. And it was like already done mm. in my head. It was wow. like, 
every single every single obstacle that could come up and stop me from doing it already had a solution for it. Um, how exactly how I was going to do it, it was already done. Like it, it was literally like as it was coming out of my mouth, it was like almost like I was creating it in the moment. And as I finished the sentence, it was already done. It was just a matter of time before I showed up. Like I remember that exact moment. And in that moment, I got that I have the ability to create anything I want for my life. <laughs> what a feeling. It was crazy, dude. And I remember, oh, yeah. I remember telling my coach, cause my coach is like, well, how do you feel about that? Hmm. I said, <laughs> like, I've got the universe in my hands. I mean, it, it's, it was the most remarkable power. I'm like getting chills right now, just hmm. thinking about that moment again. But I, I remember it like it was yesterday, dude. And, and that was really when that light bulb switched and it took years, dude. Like, I, I think that's what like a people don't understand is like, they want to read a self-help book and then they think, all right, my life is going to be great for now. Or yep. they want to take a, a weekend course and then they think, all right, I'm going to be able to do whatever I want to do. It's like, dude, it took years of mm. training and meditating and reading and coaching. I mean, dude, it took years of hard, dedicated, introspective work on myself. Cause that's where the problem was, dude. Problem was over here with myself. As wow. soon as I started addressing this, it's just like, dude, everything around me just started changing. Things just started showing up for me. Uh, everything just got easier. My new model is everything's easy. Some people hate me for saying that. <laughs> it's like, well, it is, dude, because it just, you just go do it, right? Yeah. But yeah. that's, I remember that moment so vividly. And it's, it, it's really that, that was the day everything just started changing for me. Wow. So, so just to kind of reframe this. So essentially, Everything was hard at one point. Everything was going wrong. There was a fundamental point in your life where you began to seek mentorship. And because of the state that you were in, the finances you had, instead of being able to access these mentors, you accessed them via reading books. You took action, you implemented, the principles started sinking in. And then all of a sudden, you adopted this mindset of responsibility. And then it led you a year or two later to this creative state where you were able to solve all your problems to the point where your everything seemed easy. So I, I, I love the way that you summarize that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, it's hard to say that it just solved all of my problems. Mm. Um, you uh -huh. know, I, I, that, that verbiage, it, it just, it, it, it like slammed my ear when you said that. Like, yeah, let's expand on like, that. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like I'm I'm naturally a problem solver. I, you know, I don't know where I picked this up or how I learned this, but um, I, I I enjoy people bringing me shit, right? Yeah. Like, hey, what are you dealing with? Bring it to me. Chances, and and I think it's because of like a lot of the stuff that I went through, right? So it's like, okay, yeah. chances are I probably dealt with something similar, and I'm happy to help you get through it, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I love solving problems, right? That's one of my favorite things to do. And the other thing that I I love is like. I like things that are hard. Mm. Like I don't like, like when, yeah. when things get too easy for me. Right. And it's funny cause I say everything is easy. Right. But like, it's a more of a mindset and a perspective so that it keeps me engaged and it keeps me going. Right. Even if I'm struggling my ass off, like right yeah. now, I'm like, I'm just, I'm now I'm like, I'm just starting to really get serious about golf. Yeah. Oh my God. You should have seen me when I first started playing. I probably <laughs> broke like four or five clubs, but you know, <laughs> that's what, that's what kept me engaged. Right. And that's what got, that's what keeps pulling me further and further into this game right now is because 
I'm not good at it. And it is hard and it is difficult. Right. And I am going to shank shots. And even on my good days, I still suck. You know, like I I, I strive to always do my best in everything that I do. Mm. And if I don't feel like I'm operating at my best, like there's, there's something in me that just like, I've got to, I've got to figure it out. I'm a, I'm a figure it out type of guy. Right. I always say, I'll, I'll figure it out. Right. It doesn't matter how, like just pick up a contract and fill it up. doesn't matter. We'll just figure, figure it out. out. I'll so, figure it out. <laughs> there's something about, you know, the challenge, the chase, the journey, right. Of, of doing something that's very difficult or accomplishing something that, you know, most people would think is nearly impossible. Like that, that stuff like fires me up, man. It's what drives mm. me. Love it. Yeah, Everything inherent- is hard until it's easy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Would you say that that was a natural stance you've always taken your whole life, or is that something you developed in the mentorship process? Yeah, good question. I, you know, my, my dad was a factory worker. Mm. Uh, his, you know, pretty much his whole life, his factory shut down, and you know, he basically just started doing what he was doing in the factory. I was garage, and by the time I was old enough to really like understand, like you know, five, six, seven, eight, whatever it was, um, he was already self-employed. So, you know, I kind of grew up with uh, my dad always being there and, you know, coming to all of our games and we'd take vacations whenever we wanted. And, you know, he didn't have to go to work. He was just always at home because he worked from home. So I kind of grew up with that there. But what he instilled in me was like that, that work hard type of mentality. Mm-hmm. And there was always a, a, a reward if you, you know, follow through on what you said you were going to do. And if you, you did your best at it, right, and worked hard at it. Um, so I think that, you know, know, like I said, I'm grateful for my parents and and what they did for me. And I think that's one of the things, you know, my parents or my dad, especially instilled in me, um, growing up was that if you work hard, you can really go get anything that you want. And he was like, you know, my dad was like the type of person where like, he'd ask you to go cut the grass and you go cut the grass. And he, you know, if you did a good job, he'd give you a hundred dollar bill. So you're always like, oh, you know, you cut the grass and you're like, oh shit, I missed the spot. I'm going to go back and do it. Right. You don't just (laughs) like done. you go back and you do it right. Right. And you do it the best you can because that's, what's going to give you the best reward. Uh, My mom also worked two or three jobs, you know, Mm. at at one point in her life. So, you know, I saw her work extremely hard. So I've always kind of had that blue in their blue collar, you know, and then, you know, my dad made decent money for owning his own business. And like, we were able to do all the things that we wanted to do and stuff. Um, but, you know, both my parents always just worked their asses off. And I think, you know, a little bit of that rubbed off too. Hmm. Incredible. I kind of have this question that keeps popping in my mind. I want to ask. So when the transition happened, you, you started to mention that you have so much joy and like happiness that have come out of this transition. For the people listening, would you say that the joy came before or after or during the movement of financial success. One thing I see people that are not yet successful by their own definitions, I think they're, they place happiness somewhere out in the future. As yeah. Can you describe for me when the happiness and joy started hitting your life? Good question. So uh, three things on that. Um, one, uh, I'm, I'm like never satisfied. You know, I can make a million dollars a year and next year I want a million five. So sure. Yeah, you know, that that's, and I've had this conversation with Tim. Like, mm. where does it end? Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. You know, where do I call it quits? Right? Yeah. Where do I, where do I, uh, he's know, a quarterback money guy too. 
<laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's number one. Um, you know, number two, uh, what I really learned is, you know, I, I always had the happiness. Mm. It was always here. I just never allowed myself to experience it. Mm. The perception that I had of who I was in the world because of the lack of deals or the lack of money or the foreclosure notice or whatever it was, that stuff and that perception that I had, had me believe that I wasn't happy, had me believe that I wasn't successful. And I couldn't experience joy because I didn't have the, the quote unquote money. Right. And it was in that part of that shift to taking responsibility and like doing that work, I discovered that well, emotions. Right? So along with like being responsible for all the shit that's happening, um, I also understood that once, you know, once I learned that emotions also come from me, well, if they come from me, that means I control them. Mm. And if I control them, then why can't I just experience whatever I want when I want? <sighs> you can, right? You can, yeah. but most people yeah. think that an emotion is something that they just have or they're stuck with. And yeah. you know, that was a huge shift for me too. knowing, you know, understanding that I was the one creating the emotions, right? And so this, this is part of like taking responsibility for it all. 100%. Right? Not just the shit that's happening out here, but even like in your head. It's like, yeah. well, and then like take a step back. It's like, okay, well, it went from, and, and hear this like, I am phenomena a lot. Mm. I am angry, right? Or I am uh, sad. And it's like, well, no, you are a human being and you're experiencing anger, right? Mm. Or you're experiencing sadness. So like, if you shift it just a little bit and it's like, okay, well, I'm a human being and I'm just experiencing this emotion. Okay, well, what what emotion would I rather experience right now? Yeah. And then you just tap into that and then you go there, right? And then I'm gonna wrap up by saying, uh, money doesn't make you happy. Mm. I've had, you know, the most I got and not to like brag or anything, but my, I, I made $60,000 in a month mm. and the check was cool up until closing was cool. And I cashed it. And then it was kind of like, onto okay. the next one. <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay. What's next? You yeah. Know, the, the money isn't what fulfills me, right? Mm. It's, it's not what keeps me going. Uh, money is more like a byproduct of what it is I really want to do and what, it, what is I'm really out to do is to you know give back to people, help the people. Um, and, and I really just want to empower and, you know, economically empower as many people as I can do. I think there is such a huge gap and in injustice in, you know, financial literacy, financial education, uh, invest the way money works. I mean, it's just the way our country was built. And I'm, I'm not trying to be like a conspiracy theorist or anything like right. that, man. It's just, yeah. You know, I I learned about the rule of 72 from some guy who, you know, works in another company, right? Or mm -hmm. was like teaching about, I didn't, why didn't I learn that in high school, right? Yep. Why didn't I learn what an amortization schedule is in high school, right? And how to pay that debt off faster. Why didn't I learn how credit cards work? Why didn't I learn how banks work, right? There's reasons behind all this stuff. And that's a whole nother three-hour podcast. But <laughs> it's like, I just think there's such an injustice and, you know, it, it honestly, like, it, it pains me to see people that I know could absolutely crush it in life, feeling like they're stuck somewhere just because they don't have the knowledge or the guidance to go do something that they really want to do. Incredible. So, you know, yeah. that uh, the money's cool. And, you know, I've, I've you know, made six figure and, you know, I've, I've made good money, but it's like the money is just more like a tool yep. to me now. Right. Yep. Money doesn't bring you happiness doing what you you want to do and then what you you feel like your purpose is that's going to ultimately fulfill you 
and just knowing that you control it all at any given moment. So no matter what you're experiencing, you're the one that's creating that experience. And if you want to experience something else, just do it. <laughs> that's what wow. it comes down to, man. Just, you know, just do it. Just experience something else. That's incredible. There is just so many nuggets in this, this interview. It's just in, insane how much somebody's mindset, joy, happiness, success can change by the things that you've shared. Just so cool. What are some things that you're currently up to? Like, what are you trying to accomplish in the next 12 months? Yeah. yeah. So, all right. All right. I'm going to, I'm just going to start rattling off and then we'll oh, see where it goes. Yeah. So, um, we're, so we're building distribution. So I had learned several years ago, right. That being a top producer ain't going to get me to where I want to go. Um, being a business owner, right. Building something that's scalable, duplicatable, blah, blah, blah. Right. That's all good. Um, but there's, so a short story, and then I'll, I'll dive deeper into it. So it. you, you know, that Warren Buffett bought Coca-Cola, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know why he bought Coca-Cola? My only understanding is that he just thought it was a great business with great management, but I don't know anything beyond that. So Warren Buffett bought Coca-Cola because they sell 1.8 billion eight ounce cups of Coke a day. Mm. Volume. Volume. He bought, right. He bought Coca-Cola. System because machine. Yeah. And then he raised the price of Penny. <laughs> and now he's making millions. Not a clever more. bastard. And so now he's making millions more a year. He didn't have to do any marketing. He didn't have to come yeah. up with the product. He didn't have to come up with any. It's just because of the distribution, right? Yeah. That they, and what I'm what I'm learning is like hmm. these highly or these these highly educated and highly versed people on wealth and how to create it and how to generate it and how to scale it understand that distribution wins everything, right? Ev- everything, everything. Uh, yeah, you're so on point. I read a book called The Go Giver. Yes. And that concept just blew my mind because there's a lot of people that have been shamed when they make wealth. And the principle in that book, which is if you want to make, say, $100,000, you serve a small local community. You want to make a million a year or, or 10 million a year, you just simply serve more people. More money just means you're serving more people. Now, you can, anybody can be a bad business or an evil person. But if you're providing a legitimate service, distribution to your point, like that's the answer. Serve more people. Like Amazon is an example. Yep. Yeah. So that's our main goal, right? Me wow. and my partners right now, we're building distribution, right? And we're scaling underneath two pretty good companies right now. We're in real estate, we're in financial services. We want a thousand representatives on both sides of the business. That's our target in the next, you said 12 months, but that's our goal in the next four years. Wow. Um, that sets us up pretty well, right? That distribution channel. Uh, and then the residual profit that that'll generate for us. So that's number one. Uh, number two, fix and flips, um, fix and flips and short-term rentals. So we're on the investing side. Uh, we've done, you know, 77 is actually year to date. We just bought two more moving into a new market. Actually, we just got two in Milwaukee. Uh, Cause the, Chicago- oh, nice. Yeah. Tell just- me about that trip. Yep. We went up there, we're buying stuff. So the Chicago market's tough right now with fix and flips. So, you know, we're looking, you know, Gary or not Gary, but just over the border in Indiana. <laughs> I don't know about Gary. Not uh, Gary. <laughs> well, right in that, over there. So where properties are a little bit cheaper, right? And the cost of labor is a little cheaper. So fix and flips, you know, we've done a good amount of those. We've got a really good system and engine in place there. 
Uh, short-term rental is something we just we just got our first one about two weeks ago. We're looking at a six-unit building and then a 30-unit that we want to convert all the short-term rentals. And then we just want to scale from there, right? Um, so that's something that we're working on. We've got a private fund backing us. I know you asked about that. I'm coming um, back to that. Let's go into it now. Yeah. Well, let me let me hit the highlights and then we'll, we'll circle right back to that. Love um, <laughs> a private fund that allows us to do that. I'll talk about how we built that and you know, the story behind creating that. Um, we've got, um, actually, you know what? I think that's the main stuff. Distribution, picks and flip, short-term rentals. Uh, I've got private fund that fuels all of that. Uh, we're working on, so, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little hesitant to like share this just because, um, I, I honestly don't even know what my involvement is in it. Mm. Uh, again, just kind of being in the right place at the right time. Yeah. I had a guy who, um, is with us on our real estate company. He's on the other side of the country. He's in Washington, uh, but he does a lot of big commercial deals. And he came to me one day and he's like, Hey, he's like, we've got this big deal in Atlanta. And he's like, we're the partner that we had that was going to bring the rest of the funding to the table, just walked away like two weeks before closing. He's like, we've got two weeks to raise a million dollars and push this through to the next phase. Or we're, we're out of, we're out of everything that we have into it. And when he first told it to me, I was like, you know, Atlanta, I don't know anything about Atlanta. I don't even know any people in Atlanta. Um, you know, it's a development deal. We, we've never, well, we're actually, we're building an Airbnb right now uh, up in Box Lake, but we, we've never done new construction before. So it's like, you know, I, you know it's like, ah, you know, I don't really know. And, you know, a, a few days went by and he called me back and he's like, dude, we really need this money to get this deal done. He's like, I'm telling you, it's, it's a good deal. I'm like, well, you didn't really explain it to me well the first time. It's like, can you give it another try? Mm -hmm. So he said, all right, let me, I'm, I'm going to break it down as simply as I can. Uh, he said, basically we're building a city and he's like the loan, the, the land that we're going after and acquiring, this is, they were in that initial acquiring phase. He's like the land that we're going after acquiring is worth about 30 grand an acre right now. And he's like, the guy's already done all the work with the city. He's like, they're going to change the zoning so that we could build the city. He's like, we've got hotels lining up. He's like, we've got banks lining up. He's like, we've got all these casinos. He's like, we got all this stuff lined up. He's like, but we, our partner walked away with the funds to help us acquire the rest of the land. And he's like, to give you an idea of what this could be worth. He said, so we're picking up 99 acres at 30,000 an acre. He said, after we buy it, the city is already guaranteed, right, in writing that they're going to change the zoning within 30 days. That allows us to do this project. He said, when that zoning change happens, that 30,000 an acre goes to 1.6 million per acre. And when he said that, I was like, I might know some people. Like, yeah. <laughs> I might, I might, might know able, some might people. I might be able to figure right? this out. Yeah, yeah. I might know some people, right? That'd be interested in that. So I oh, took wow. it to my partner, and then he actually took it to our fund manager, the guy who started our private fund for us. And he went digging into his pockets. I got these guys on a three-way call. Long story short, um, they they were able to secure the land. Uh, they actually just did the groundbreaking last week. So they got now the zoning changed. Yeah, the, they got the zoning changed. So they're doing the financials now of the model. Um, and, you know, it's like, it's like one of those opportunities. And there's even an article on it. You could, like, I could share it with you guys. It's like $2.5 billion dollar development getting underway. Wow. Um, and to think that like, just because of the relationships that I've built, like, you know, I kind of had a small part in doing that. Hmm. We may be, you know, Rick, who is our fund manager, he might have, um, 
he's working with um, a fund that's got several billion. They might want to fund the entire thing. And the agreement we had with the guy who owns this deal on the front end was you guys get a consulting fee for the money you bring and you get equity. Mm. So I, and, and I don't know, we don't have anything in writing. This is on the handshake. And I know, right. I've, I've learned the hard way on the writing thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, I trust these people I'm working with um, on both sides of the table uh, and, you know, it could end up Life owning life. a small city and yeah. being part owner of the city. It's crazy. <laughs> like right? A pretty just cool a, one. Yeah. Just to yeah. think of it. So like, you know, on, on one level we're, we're building distribution, we're working on fixed and flips. And then on the complete opposite side of that spectrum, like we're also trying to build a city. It's like, Nine years ago, when I took my first Zillow lead, I couldn't <laughs> imagine, right, being in the position I am. And it's just, you know, that story that we've been going through this entire time, all of the shit, all the struggles, all the downs, all the depressed moments, you know, thinking, I never had a chance, I never had like the thought of quitting, but I just had the thought of like, dude, what if I fucking lose everything? You know, what if I literally have to start from zero again, you know? Um, and actually I had to start from a negative uh, position because of how I put myself, but I got everything. I'm almost hundred percent debt free today. Uh, all I have left is my car payment. So that is fantastic. But to think of where I started and then all the shit I go through and then, you know, where we're at today and then what's on the horizon over the next three to five years, it's just, it's, it, it's hard to explain, dude. It's really hard to explain. And really it's, it's the sum of all the shit. And this yeah. is like what I, I try to articulate to people. It's like, cause I, I see so many people that got talent that come into the business and they do it for two or three months. And they're like, this shit doesn't work. Mm. Right. And they quit or they do it for six months. Like it took me three years to find my first fix and flip, bro. Like yeah. don't come to me after three months and say this shit doesn't work. Like you just haven't put in the time and effort. Yeah. And I always call them like periods of concentration when you're going through like the hard time. If you think about it, like, before a butterfly busts out of its cocoon, it feels the tightest. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So it's like whenever I feel that pressure or like that down or like, you know, just like I'm feeling like everything I'm doing is just turning the shit. I know that this is the way that I framed it. Right. So they keep going. It's like I'm just going through a period of concentration. And what's on the other side of this shit is going to be 10 times greater than whatever I'm feeling right now. Right. On the opposite side of that spectrum incredible wow. that actually that reminds me of a ray clock crock quote excuse me but nothing in the world can take the place of persistence talent will not nothing is more common than unsuccessful individuals with talent mm-hmm. i mean it's persistency is everything yep. wow yeah will smith talks a lot about talent versus skill too man like mm. there's a lot of talented people that don't do shit with their life and there's a lot of people that aren't talented, but they develop the skills to help them go do everything they want to do. And I, like I said, I'm, I was a factory worker. Like, I don't even have a college degree. Um, you know, I barely got through high school. I was, dude, I was not a student, right? I didn't like people telling me what to do. I was <laughs> arguing with teachers, arguing with guidance counselors. I was arguing with my baseball coaches, dude. Yeah, I kicked off the baseball team because <laughs> I didn't see it. So you know, I was that asshole growing up. And like I said, if you will change, everything will change for you, man. And it's Incredible. just, 
I did the work on myself. I went through the shit. And I'd say, honestly, it doesn't add, dude, I'm still going through shit. I still go through shit. The shit I go through today is just, it's different. Yeah. Right now it's just, it's, it's different, but you still go through it and it's still, you still have to work every day. Dude. It's like going to the gym. You can't go to the gym for a year and then expect to be fit for your whole life. Yeah. No, dude, it's like, you gotta read, you gotta, you gotta be a continuous learner. You gotta continue to grow. If you're not growing, you're dying. one of two ways you can go yeah and it seems like as you build your skill you elevate yourself into these greater opportunities like the city that you're a part of building and so the challenges you get are bigger right like you're growing into you know the the bigger things that you get to face bigger Um, problem to solve man yep better rewards at the end yes sir yeah the closer you get to the ceiling of who you are the further away the ceiling gets is what I like to say Um, because like there's really there is no ceiling Um, as your talent level increases your your ceiling your your potential increases as well absolutely so John good you do you want me to touch on that fund real quick exactly yep okay cool so this was started out of necessity we were you know, when we first started and we were in an independent brokerage and then we just wanted to scale faster. So we partnered up with someone, but we, um, when we were independent and we were kind of like just getting this all rolling, my partners were doing, you know, maybe five or six deals a year. I had more like the traditional real estate background. So that's, we came together and we started a brokerage and we always wanted to incorporate that real estate investing, um, aspects. So we just felt like there wasn't a lot of resources out there. And we felt like a lot of people got in real estate, to do real estate investing, but a lot of brokerages weren't teaching people or showing them how to do that. So we're like, well, why don't we just create something like that? So we built it and the goal was to scale it. And, you know, now we're just kind of more so scaling the, the concept, but the, um, when we were doing like five or six deals a year, uh, we had a short list of private investors and that was pretty simple. You know, you find a deal and you just start making phone calls. Hey, we got a deal. Here are the numbers. How much do you want to throw at it? Uh, and they might say, um, so we were, you know, so we were pretty much cold, not cold calling, but we had a list of private investors. So we had to raise capital for every deal individually. And, you know, we, we wanted to get bigger and we wanted to scale. And as we started doing, you know, you start doing 10 or 15 or 20, you know, you start getting into doing that many flips a year, um, raising capital one off, you know, kind of became like a full-time job. itself. Yeah. And we also realized that we weren't very good at it. Right. So what we did is we started looking for, another way to do that, still provide the same opportunity to our private investors, uh, but make the, you know, make the, the facilitate the transactions a lot easier, right? And make the mm-hmm. capital easier to move around. So we found a guy, he had started five or six real estate mm-hmm. funds before. And we told him like, Hey, we want to build a real estate fund. We want to do it a little bit differently. Um, and we kind of shared with them some of our goals. You know, the goal is to scale the fund. We want to scale the operators um, so that you have more, because money people, all they want to do is spend money. It's like, we want to create more people like us that can spend more of your money. So that was how we sold them on it. And he's like, all right, cool. We had a track record already of success, excuse me, successful deals. And then we already had, you know, a private group that we could get the fun started with. Mm -hmm. So that's really where that came from. And, you know, Rick is our fund manager. He put this together, all SEC regulated and all, you know, he's got all the licenses and he did it all right. Um, and then we just had all of our private guys go there, right? Put all of your eggs, instead of putting all your eggs in one basket, now you're diversified over all of our deals. 
We don't have to keep going back and forth on each transaction, so on and so forth, right? Um, our first year, we did about 16% uh, return uh, to our investors. Our second year, we did 18. Or I'm sorry, second year, we did 19. Our third year, we did 18. Wow. Uh, so, you know, in our first few years, we started catching some attention. And then other people were like, hey, can I put money in there? Right. So it's kind of organically just started to grow. And, you know, right now we've got about three and a half million allocated in deals with about another million or so, like in the pool uh, that Available. we can pull from. Yeah. Uh, we've got another million coming the end of this week. And we've got people lining up now to cut us, you know, 10, 20, $50 million drugs because we've proved out this concept. And what's what's the way we structured the fund? It's uh, it's not like it's not a hard money. Like the, the fund doesn't lend money to anyone. It's actually a partner on each transaction. So the advantages of that is uh, with the fund owning all the real estate outright. If we ever wanted to leverage, we've got a three and a half million dollar portfolio that we could leverage, and we can go get financing if we need to or want to. Right? We own all the assets free and clear. The other thing with the fund owning the assets. Uh, 51% owner on each LLC we start for each deal. With the fund owning the assets, they never have to foreclose on an operator. Mm -hmm. So that's not good for you. It's not good for the fund, right? Um, they never have to foreclose. If someone starts screwing up, we can just step in and fix it, right? Yeah, um, so there's more securities, more protection. It's 100% debt free, right? Because they own everything outright. And, you know, we, and there's a couple other nuances too. So, like, the terms are flexible depending on what you need. So, if you need a lower interest rate, you could tick down the interest rate and maybe put a little bit more down. Mm -hmm. If you don't have money to put down, maybe, you know, like you get hundred percent financing, but maybe you pay a little bit more. So like the terms are flexible in it. The fund has complete control over all the assets uh, and has the ability to step in in case an operator gets off track, get these projects back going. Right. So they, there's a lot of security in there. And, you know, my partner used, used to always say, he's like, when someone actually understands like how we built this and why we built it and why it's advantageous to put money here, people are just going to start flocking to it. Yeah. And it totally. took us about, it took us about three years to prove it out. Right. With those interest rates and showing that we could, we could prove that we can get these types of returns. And now we've got like institute these, like all these people that I just talked about, they're coming, like they're, most of them are in their due diligence period, which these types of people, you know, take some two, three, four months, right. To bet everything out and go through their due diligence. But now we're starting to get, we got large institutional like funds and lenders like knocking on our door to start throwing money into this fund for us to go play with, you know, build cities or whatever <laughs> we want to do it. So, so it's, cool. it's interesting, right? The way it started just kind of out of necessity. And now it's like snowballing again into like this thing that, you know, at, at the end of this year, we could have $50 million that we need to allocate into deals. Mm. And then it's like the next conversation becomes, how can we spend $50 million? Right? That's right. <laughs> and that's a fun conversation to have, right? When you're in real estate, because there's apartment buildings, there's hotels, there's conversions, there's developments. There's, I mean, that type of money starts putting you, you know, we're not fixing flipping a thousand single family homes with, right. you know, we're going to go buy an apartment complex and we're going to mm -hmm. convert it to condos or, you know, or we're going to buy like a apartment building and we're going to do like two floors of short-term rentals. You know, that's when we can really start doing like some big level fun exciting things man incredible I, I i wish we could sit here and talk with you all day all week yeah, for real huh? it's just so fun 
for thank you for sharing that by the way i'd love to have you back on and we could spend another full show if not book a double time slot to to really cover this this syndication process so anybody that's interested can understand more about it there's so many terms here that like i wish we had the time to dissect and open up so people can understand what funds are versus syndications how yours is different like some of the stuff you're saying is is really really valid in terms of you know the security and whatnot so love to be able to dive into that in the future uh kind of a wrapping up question if, if the audience wants to get a hold of you I and mean, there's so much you have to offer i don't know if you have the time or not but whether it be social media or connecting with you what's the best way for them to to see what you're up to or to get in touch with you yeah so before i just kind of share all that uh, i'm gonna preface it with this um one of my earliest mentors uh told me uh when you when you get to the top said send the elevator back down because if I didn't, your ass wouldn't be here. Yeah. So I've always got that. Uh, I'm always willing to give a helping hand, dude. And, and I will always, always, and you can ask anyone that's on my team, you know, we've got 40 something agents over four states or whatever. You can ask anyone that we've worked with in the past. Um, I will always make time uh, for people, right? And I'll always fit it in. Um, I like to say uh, there's, a, there's a family guy episode uh, with Spider-Man, but right? he jumps out and like he saves Peter. And Peter's like, oh, thanks, Spider-Man. And then Spider-Man looks at him and he says, everybody gets one. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> here's, here's my model, right? I will give you all the respect in the world. I will give you all the time in the world um, until you lose it. Wow. So if you, right, so if, if someone steps on me, right, or, or like if someone wrongs me or whatever, um, I, I don't burn bridges often, but there's a few people on the list that just <laughs> are dead to me, you know? Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm really looking for those key people that we could run. We call them runners. Right? There's three types of people that we come across. There's standards, right? And there's people that just kind of hang out and they, we used to call them coffee club members or whatever, right? So they just kind of hang out and they're there. Uh, there's walkers and those, you know, they're going to do what they do and right, might do a few here or there. Uh, and then there's runners. Right? And those are the people that are going to build something great that's going to last a long time. So mm. those are really the people that we're looking for. Um, everyone has a place with us and everyone can work with us in some capacity, but the people that get the majority of my time, the people that I do stuff with, like Tim's a runner. I already know Tim's a runner, man. And I know you're a runner. Mm-hmm. With Tim. So that's yeah. why, that's why I'm on here today. Just sharing uh, with you guys, because I know it'll bring value to your business and I'm hoping to bring value to other people uh, in the same way. But those are the people that I'm willing to give the time to, because I think that together, right. Those, when those types of people get together, um, they can make so much more of an impact right out in the world and what they're doing. So um, I'll, pre- I'll preface, that's my preface, right? Before sure. I give out contact info. So yeah. uh, I'm really easy to get a hold of. Uh, my cell phone number is 630-439-6385. Call me, text me. It's my personal cell phone. I've got 6,000 contacts in my phone. I dude, I don't, I don't have a business phone. I don't turn my phone off. I may not always answer, right? So please give me some space there, right? With the shit that's coming in. Uh, it might take me a day to get back to you, but I promise if you call me, if you leave me a voicemail or if you text me, I will get back to you, right? Every single, every single person I'll get back to. Um, so you can reach me there. Uh, I'm on Instagram at john.varnack. Just started building that platform out this year. So I greatly appreciate some love. Go out there. More mindset stuff, sharing good books that I'm reading, um, sharing accomplishments that we're doing uh, along the way while we're building this. Facebook's John Barnack, LinkedIn, John Barnack. I mean, I just, 
I make it easy, right? Cell phone number and then John Barnett, Google, you could probably find me just about on everything. Incredible. It's just so, so neat to see YouTube. Oh, YouTube. So I just started a YouTube channel too. Love it. Um, Yeah. Go check it out. It's more just like they're 10 to 15 minute segments. And Mm -hmm. I just pick up, I say random, but I've got a list of like hundred topics that like, Oh, that would be something good to share. Right. Mm -hmm. And the idea behind the YouTube channel is to get the shit that's in my head out into the world. Cause like, that's one thing I've always struggled with as a leader is how do I, how do I get what's in here to, to more people, right? To help more people. And YouTube is, I think it's just the best platform to do that where I could just sit here. I could talk for 10 or 15 minutes about a topic, share some ideas, share some thoughts, share some strategies. Um, and then hopefully just, like I said, just impact as many people as I can. Man. Guys, cool. thank you so much, John, for being on the show. Guys, there's so much incredible information in this from mindset to transitions to absolutely everything that can take you from just getting started to maybe some dark times to literally building your own dang city and having <laughs> unbelievable money to do just incredible things. So guys, I mean, this is truly like the gamut. So make sure after you watch this video that you take the time, or even if you're just listening to the audio, make sure you take the time to take some notes, pick one thing. If nothing else, pick one thing, take action on it in the next seven days and either put it in the comments, text us something, tell somebody what you're going to do and make it happen and start experiencing the benefits. John, like, I just can't thank you enough for, for delivering such incredible value. That's welcome, man. I appreciate the opportunity to share.